This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by Comic Book Click at tpublic.com. Visit tpublic.com slash user slash comic book click to get exclusive one-of-a-kind merchandise including shirts, stickers, and phone cases all designed by us. Get your hands on the latest and greatest in comic book merchandise by going to tpublic.com slash user slash comic book click. And remember, you, yes you, are worthy. Everybody out there in comic book land, my name is George Serrano, aka The Don, and if you're listening to this, you could only be here for one reason, and that's a brand new episode of the Major Issues Podcast, brought to you by ComicBookClick.com, and as always, I'm never alone. Sir, please introduce yourself. I am Dan the Comic Man. Dan the Comic Man is here in studio on such an extraordinary day, because we are here to review the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the 2003 smash hit. That started the entire smash cinematic universe that we now know as the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Universe. You know, this this, this thing blew, uh, you know, people's minds wide open. This adaptation, this great Alan Moore adaptation. He stood up in in the cinema and he shed a single tear <laughs> as he said, finally, my work has been ad- adapted. But we'll get to that uh, film in a second. And we even went to great lengths to read the first volume of the actual comic book league of extraordinary gentlemen co-created by alan moore and artist kevin o'neill which began in 1999 i was surprised by that i thought that would have been a, a such a uh, much more older yeah I've, comic uh, that's, series. I, that's i thought that was something like in the 80s like at least early 90s at least but wow this is so that means they only adapted this after like four or five years after it's four, been four years because the film comes out in like 2003 you know, so then the development starts in 02 right that means they had Somewhere to have been greenlit in, in 2001. You know, so like it was really only craziness. like two years. Yeah. Um, but they really, really uh, were trying to nail this whole premise down. So according to Alan Moore, co-creator, the concept behind the series was initially a Justice League of Victorian England, which you can kind of see that. Oh, yeah. He definitely took like some of the – these are the greatest characters ever made. Mary Shelley characters, Arthur Cohen Doyle characters – you know what's weird though? I feel like um you know, you say the Justice League of of Victorian England, and obviously these characters predate the Justice League, but this comic is post Justice League. Yeah. So you can take you know, you can take ideas from comic books and put them on older characters and you kinda still are grandfathered in because you can say, well, Alan Quartermain was the first um, Indiana Jones. You yeah. know, like you could do something. But Indiana Alan Jones Quartermain still came out first in, uh, as far as movies-wise go. But yeah, yeah, Quartermain yeah. was right. only a character that not many people know. And so if he does something in the film that's Indiana Jones-like, you can get away with it because he was the first Indiana Jones. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's, uh, it's cool how they got to play with that like stuff. Like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde would be the first Bruce Banner. 100%. And you can't be like, wow, they took that from the Hulk. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, kind of, sort of, but yeah, kind of, sort of, the Hulk was taken from that whole premise there. But, um, 
we we reviewed volume one on this for this episode because I have never seen this film before. I don't know why the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen eluded me. Um, I don't think I saw many comic book films in 2003 because Catwoman also came out in 2003. Well, there's also probably many comic book movies that, that you either. haven't seen that probably you'd even know were comic book movies either. X2, I think, came out in 2003. X2 was... And I did see that. X-Men United. I think that was the, the year before. The year before this? Like 2002. Okay. I'm pretty sure X2 was 2002. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure it came out the same year Spider-Man, the first one, came out. Would you Did you see this when it came out in theaters? In theaters, no, but I have seen this movie growing up many times. These are one of those those uh, nostalgic movies where it's like, you know, you're a kid, so you don't know what you like, and you just see certain things, and you're like, oh, I love this, because I'll totally credit this movie for my love of certain characters, like Dorian Gray. Yeah. I loved reading that the painting of Dorian Gray book right. because of this movie. Actually, they come out the same year as this, which I guess leads to the branding of that whole LXG like extreme literary. Like, did you see the trailer for this damn movie? Preparing for this, it's dude, kind of weird. Yeah, the trailer was so weird. Like, prepare for and stuff like that. So let's, they were just trying to like really capture in that like gothic metal type uh, superhero look that they were going with the gritty. With didn't Daredevil come out the, the same year too? Uh, I think so as well. What a year! I'm pretty sure Daredevil came out this year, too. So, X2, Daredevil, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Catwoman. What a year for comic book movies. Especially when you, like, you know... Yeah, Daredevil came out 2003 as well. So, look at it 10 years later in 2013, and we're still getting failed comic book movies with Iron Man 3, in a sense. So, it's like you can't even make mistakes. We still make mistakes 10 years later with some of these movies. I think in the... um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a that was a rough year. They did. I dug the comic, so I guess we should talk about the comic first, right? So, volume one of the comic, a brief synopsis of, oh, I guess of the plot, is um the year is nineteen eighty eight, and Mina Murray is recruited no, it's by eighteen ninety eight. Eighteen ninety eight. I'm getting my dyslexia. It's eighteen ninety eight, and Mina Murray is recruited by Campion Bond, grandfather of James Bond. On behalf of the British intelligence, and acts to un- assemble a league of other extraordinary individuals to protect the interests of the Empire. Captain Nemo, Alan Quartermain, Doctor Jekyll, and Holly Griffin, the Invisible Man, they help stop a gang war between Fu Manchu and uh, Professor Moriarty, nemesis of Sherlock Holmes. Um, w- did you know when you went to see when you saw this film, Alex G, that this was based on a comic? Uh, I didn't know that this was based on a comic until getting into comic books itself and comic book click and especially major issues. Major issues is what helped me realize a lot of things is, oh my God, that was a comic book. Yeah. Because it, it, it comes now, it's, well, I wanted to just go straight to movies when I had a chance to be on podcasts. So I'm like, yeah, let's just watch some comic book movies and just right, review right. that. Looking up comic book movies, bam, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is a comic book movie. Then, um, then I'm like, bam. Who's it written by? Are, are you worried Moore. about stuff like history of violence, like that there might be more? I'm on the page than it might be on the screen. I'm already reading history of violence, actually. What do you think? So of it's it? like it's. I'm. I think history of violence is that perfect, like um, exception where it's like you need a movie structure for something like this to be adapted. Yeah. Because a lot of this is all show don't tell. Yeah. 
the movie like the movie starts off and it gives us that world building that atmospheric world of what we're getting into for the kind of movie this the soon as history of violence starts bam it's killing murder yeah. violence but at least in the movie, you had like the first like fifteen minutes to like set up who this character is, yeah. So it translates better. This, this, this. I was oh man, we're gonna get we're gonna get into this. Because... I think it was um, I think that the book itself, uh, you know, Alan Moore is known for his deconstruction of the superhero genre. You know how he likes to break, um, you know, characters down like Miracle Man, <laughs> Watchmen, um, Killing Joke. A lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of uh, ideas in that man's mind. And when it came to this one, what I felt like he could do with this was we got a lot of like, for lack of a better term, pulp fiction, literally. A lot of um, pulpy, mustache twirling, you know? Uh, oh, definitely. Uh, a swashbuckling kind of, um, what do you call that? I guess like a cereal? You know, like like those old school kind of. Uh, no, yeah, those are they're serious. Don't ranger almost. Um, stories. I really like. Yeah, it's I, like, like campy midwestern, like ho- eight, uh, golden age Hollywood type. Like it was definitely stylized for Victorian England, and I think most of Adam Moore's stuff is takes place in England as, or goes back to England eventually. Um, but yeah, he definitely you know he picked his characters that he wanted to pick. Um, what did you think about them and their portrayals in the book, uh, Captain Nemo? Oh, et cetera? I, I think they were far better in the books. Like, especially the what 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 pains me is the actors that they casted for this movie. I can see them reading these specific lines more rights. Yeah, I can see like I, in the in the book when you when you start off, you start off with a character named Bond that we don't even see in the movies, and he's the one giving Wilmina. The tool, like the dossiers, to go pick up these individual people. Yeah, we don't get that in the movie, right? You get some guy you never see again. Yeah, he literally goes and finds, um, what's his face, uh, uh, Quartermain. Yeah, when was he it brings, even when he brings Quartermain to? Um, were they even in Cairo? Where were they? When when in the when movie he when he went to pick up Quartermain? Africa. They were in Africa. Yeah, yeah. and they here they they don't. I don't think they specify exactly. They're probably where. in like Kenya. In here, they're in Cairo, and you see Quartermain in like. An alleyway on opium. He's literally an opium addict in the book. Yeah. And so there's total differences. And I don't think it translates well. I think that, um, I mean, in 1999, how progressive you, can you be? But I think that, that uh, Mina, Mina and Nemo are stronger characters in the book than in the film. Oh, definitely. They almost seem like equals to a quarter main. Like the, they're they're like the first three, and then the other two kind of are the ones you can't really trust because one's uh, an invisible man who does a lot of amoral things, and the other one is a schizophrenic. And you got to there right when we meet the yeah. invisible. Oh my yeah, god! We'll oh my god! But um, yeah, it felt like there was more of like those three, like they were the trinity of the Justice League, as you would say, and then you have the other members. Um, but in the film, it's like all Sean Connery and Nemo's there and he's like the strong silent type, but he felt more powerful in the books, more definitive. Like when he spoke, people listened and, and the characters that they had in the movie weren't even in the books and they were getting most of the things to do. The movie had Tom Sawyer. Did your opinion change of the movie since the first time you saw it? Oh, drastically. 
from now. Because now the problem is, is now I read this amazing work of art. Okay. I, I find this book to be amazing. I'm just, I'm walking down the street. I'm coming from the store. I'm just flipping through the pages. I'm like marking out with a smile on my face. Like, damn it. Between O'Neill's artwork and Moore's writing, I don't know what I love more. Like the the writing in here is great, but most of the time I'm looking at the at the splash pages. There's a lot of beautiful style and those splash oh, pages have a bunch of detail. Like a so bunch of So beautiful. Like I'm going to, I'm going to scroll through, but I'm sure there's this like one just here. Like just seeing Nemo's ship, which pisses me off. Oh yeah, the, the sort of the Nautilus, Nautilus. Look, it's a the it's a squid. squid it's a squid thing, in the yeah. in the book, and that I love really, it. Really, really cool. It looks so dope, and especially when like every time they're in the water, the tentacles act as like life preservers, and it grabs them from drowning. In the movie, it was just this really bland, big sword. Yeah, that's it. It was just so planned. Did he call it the sword of the? He called ocean? it the sword of the sea. Sword of the sea. Yeah. The sword of the sea. Huh. I also like in the comics and in and the movie made me feel kind of foolish, in the sense that I'm pretty sure there's a ton of literary references <laughs> from from all of them, but I have to be honest, I have not read physically any of the books that any of these people. Are in. I ju- oh, I just so you never read pop- The Invisible Man I just know or Doctor from jo- pop culture, pop culture wise, you know. Um, so I guess that's. I, I don't even think I remembered remembering that it was about literary people when it first came out. I'm trying to really no, that's think what, about that's why cool. I didn't see it. That's why I didn't know it was a comic book movie all these years. I always thought it was just some weird because I know Universal has the rights to these characters. Yeah. Frankenstein and Dracula and all the the Universal has those rights. That's right. why And I d I didn't know about the public domain in two thousand and three. That's yeah. why there's a but you are, you knew that the that the that uh Universal had their dark universe from like like the fifties and sixties, right? Like Frankenstein meets Dracula and all that and and all those like um I think there was I think Blackula was one of them. Yeah. Elvira and all those shit like the dark unit you know, the uh, Boris Karloff's mummy. Yeah. That's when this movie came out. I thought these were just that. Like it was just all of those characters thrown and thrown into just one big Justice League styled movie. But even though we didn't have a Justice League or an Avengers at that point, so our this only friend the first this would have been the we got the assembling of the team, you know. Uh you know, they got their, their person that they're fighting up against, the evil mustache twirling villain who loses their mustache somewhere down the line in this film. Um but <laughs> Yeah, I. Hmm. Now that I've seen it, I can say, well, I guess this is, well, we're almost at the 15 minute mark, a good 15 minutes of spoiler free. So let me see what else I can give. Um, I think everyone should watch this film. I think um, in the sense of just looking at this weird hybrid of 90s action and early 2000 CGI and glimmering of comic book adaptation and the last Sean Connery film, <laughs> also the last uh, Stephen Norrington film who directed this film. So for for that, at the very least, people should uh, watch it. But uh, in my opinion, I don't think it's the best, but I definitely don't think it's the worst. It didn't make me as angry as Dark Phoenix, but then again, I paid to see that. Maybe if I was a huge League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comic fan 
going into watching this movie, I probably would have disavowed it. Um, I just think that the important parts of the comic are brushed away in the in the movie, and there are parts in the movie that are important they've just made up. <laughs> so it's just like what? Alan Moore's work just doesn't translate right. And this is the beginning it, of him figuring figuring this out. His first comic like, book adaptation movie was look from at this hell. one specific page of just Quartermain literally going through withdrawals. Yeah, and it's just beautifulness. No, Get my, none of that. There's a there's one of um, the Invisible Man getting dressed. That looked pretty cool. The, oh, where it was? Yeah, that nine panel where he's like putting the makeup on, and you have like the chick. Uh, uh, she's writing the letter to Mister Bond and all yeah, that. It's really good stuff. He's you know he's a visionary, Alan Moore. Like him or don't like him, and you know I think he prays. He treats objects of, like women, though. I think he prays to some sort of serpent. Uh, but yeah. Um, I see this. This the idea for this film is cool. The idea for the book is cool. Um, I just think that the film just falls into some plot, not plot holes, sorry. Just falls into some holes um, that then make it hard to recover. And I think one of the main ones is the characterization of Sean Connery as Alan Quartermain. So it was just Sean Connery being Sean Connery. Yeah, which I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. There's def- there was definitely an audience for that, the James Bond audience, etc. But, yeah, but I felt like this was a caricature of everything we loved about Sean Connery. He was just okay. like this old and run down, and I just don't like it anymore. And oh, it sucks getting old. And um, so, director Stephen Norrington had such a hard time with this movie that he announced that he would never direct another movie again. <laughs> this movie really legit. This movie co- kills careers, George. How it is does. this not the worst thing you've ever seen? Uh, this movie kills careers. Maybe it. W- but the thing is, this came out the same year. As, so I feel like it, it's like, I think Daredevil is better than this, but I don't think Catwoman is. True. You know, so like if it came out the same year, it's not even the worst that year. It's you not know? that worst that year, no. So it's like, that. that's why I kind of give it. And the thing is, like, I think with these ensemble pieces, when you do them right and you, you can kind of like dig parts of a film, you don't have to really necessarily like all of it. And that's, I guess that's where I fell into this with this. So Sean, um, Alan Quartermain uh, is an English-born professor, oh, sorry, English-born professional big game hunter and occasional trader in Southern Africa who supports colonial efforts to spread civilization in the dark continent. Oh, so uh, a colonizer. Yes. He's a colonizer. <laughs> yes. That's uh, great. Though he also favors Native Africans having a say in their affairs. He's still a colonizer. <laughs> he's, he's a colonizer with a heart. With a heart of gold. And and salt and pepper hair. Sean Connery was paid seventeen million dollars for this role, which left filmmakers little money to attract other big name stars for the ensemble cast. My God, yeah. Like, yeah, I think you. I mean, I guess no, nobody's wouldn't have made this film. You know, he turned down the role of Gandalf for this. Yes, I also heard he. There was another thing. He turned down the role of Morpheus for the that Avengers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. He also had the, uh, there was one oh he turned down the role of um Richard Attenborough in um Jurassic Park ah yes it was yes like this man was not making good decisions he, this is when he goes to this is the apple he chooses to bite on and then says all apples are bad and decides to retire yes um we have and please excuse me 
Nasir Rud- Rudin Shah as Captain Nemo, famous from tw- 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, written by Jules Verne. Um, did I say that Anna Quartermine was from King Solomon's Mines? No, you from didn't. H. Ryder Haggard? Okay. He's but he is. Yes, he is. Uh, so the thing is, I was confused because every Captain Nemo I've ever seen was white. Turns out he's not white. Nope, not at all. Uh, never was white. Never was white. Uh, always written in the literal uh, text. He's like an Indian pirate. Yes. So Nemo is a mysterious figure, the son of an Indian Raja. He is a scientific genius who roams the depths of the sea in his submarine, the Nautilus, um, which was built in pieces all over the world and shipped to the builder. Them, see, that's another thing. The submarine... Squid thing that all makes sense. Um, the sword makes sense as an above sea vessel because you're cutting through the sea with your sword. Yeah, but I can't see but a sword being why submersive. Would be under, why would it have to be under the water? Oh, whatever. Um, Nemo tries to project a stern, controlled confidence, but he is driven by a thirst for vengeance and the hatred of imperialism focused on the British Empire. He also uh, he is also racked by remorse over the deaths of his crew member, crew members, and even the deaths of enemy sailors. Um, so they show he's. What is this tales of black freighter backstory this man's getting? But another thing is, you know, that's what uh, that's what the initial hilarity of. There's a little bit of the movie, but in the comics of him and Quartermain being on the same team. Yeah, he hates the British Empire, and you know, and Quartermain doesn't fuck off, with the British anymore. Right, but they're both being hired to help the British Empire. Uh, which puts them a little bit, you know, in a pre- precarious predicament. But this was shit that wasn't translated into the movie that makes sense in the book. You get these motivations. The whole purpose of this book was character motivate. Why would these specific five people, of all unlikely people, come together to help England, the one country that hates them all the most? Yeah. I mean, Jekyll fled to to Paris. Oh, that is one. That is yeah. That is true. You're right. There was a reason and why Mina's, they all came. Mina's disgraced. She's Mina's like... disgraced because she's the the wife of Dracula, which I hated the movie for actually giving us that. I didn't know she would ever get that, um, and I don't think it does. I don't think it's ever that. Because uh, I, I have it here that says um, in the comic book version, Mina Harker, who refers to herself by her maiden name, Mina Murray, doesn't does not have vampiric abilities. The only reference to her past are large scars from bite marks on her neck. That's why she wears the scarf. scarf. She never takes off. That was the whole. Pur- there was a whole big purpose. Like so, she's the league's leader in the book and uh, responsible for recruiting other members. And the first time you see her, she almost gets raped in the book because she, Alan Moore hates women. Yeah, there's three. There's 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 an attempted rape, an allusion to rape, and an actual rape. <laughs> All in the first. This is the attempted rape. The illusion. It was alluded that um, Jekyll was stealing prostitutes and then murdering them. Maybe he was raping them. No, that was yeah. This was he, a, was he was going down the same alleyway that um, Jack the Ripper was going down. But yeah, he was doing. Yeah, he was doing the Jack the Ripper thing of like. I guess they're not going to miss the prostitutes. And I'm like, this is. There's a lot. There's a lot of flawed members of this thing because even and, Alan Quartermain, who's kind of string and arrow, like we were saying, in this. Oh, book, he's misogynistic um, in the book. But he also, uh, in the original graphic novel, he like 
got out of the public life and became an opium addict. So it's like he's even kind of disgraced a little bit, you know, and he's stuck in his way. It's like the original Suicide Squad in a sense. It's just these ragtag group of unlikely heroes that are not really heroes. It's all perspective and yada, yada, yada. But this, it works great here for me because you, uh, they are, like you say, flawed. And you don't see them 100% all the time be good. Maybe a few of them. But there are also moments where each of them have their own ulterior motives. Yeah. But it wasn't so in your face the way it was in the movie. You're right. The movie was just so in your face. I guess guess when you're translating something from a book to a movie, you have to be able to project inner thoughts and inner monologues into scenes. And some people don't like to rely on subtlety because you don't have as much time with the film than you And you don't have book. as much trust in your general public that they're right. going to get the subtlety. Like, me and you will get the subtlety. Not everybody is going to go to the movie theaters and look for, like, the background to mean something to them. So, sir, Sean Connery reportedly refused to play an opium addict. He refused to play an opium addict. Yeah. He's a son of a bitch. Oh, my God. Son of a my fucking... God. No, he's a son of a bitch. I'm Wait, glad he you retired. Got pro- you got a problem with old woman hit- hitting Sean Connery? Bro, he man, I'm surprised he didn't want to hit nobody in this movie either. Because Quartermain was definitely threatening uh, Murray a couple of times in this volume. So, um, like I was saying, Peter Wilson plays Mina Harker. In a deviation from the comic, the film was uh, based on the film has Mina remain a vampire after Dracula's death, and she keeps their same, her surname Harker, having outlived her husband Jonathan, rather than divorce him in the book. Um, in the, oh, in the film, they, there's no, like, relationship with her and Quartermain. I guess, you know, there's a little bit of that in the comic, and I guess eventually. Yeah, in this one, she just has, like, this. With everybody. Tr- this square, this square, uh, love square between her, Tom Sawyer, um, Dorian Gray, and Jekyll. Which maybe that's, like, maybe that's the part of the vampire thing. Because the, the pheromones. Thing, that's the only thing I can, like, excuse it away with, like. Vampires are known to be like seductive somehow, which a lot helps. I mean, I guess which sure. helps them in their predatory nature. I guess, but it defeats the purpose of Wilmina Murray, man. Because in the book, she was great. She was this no nonsense. Yeah, she had the stick up yeah, her she butt was type, like a take charge. But yeah. she was exactly that. She was this take charge. She was like a, a Maria Hill, like a Peggy like Carter. a a Peggy Carter. Perfect. She was like a Peggy Carter. So to completely make her this just like seductive, vampiric, gothic. Yeah. Ugh. She even wears an outfit like towards the end where I'm like, that that screams like Underworld slash Matrix. She looked like she weird. was in the Underworld. In this book, her face. The whole it, movie looks like it's Underworld. It's, it is just. So color graded. Yeah, it's great, terrible. Great stuff. This here. Which is weird because like, it's a very ugh, beautiful book. It is like. This whole background is all blue. You see the the lit um, windows, the glass. Also got a lot of Hellboy vibes because Hellboy deals with sometimes literary um, ghosts and demons and goblins. And Hellboy will go after them. It's a rich uh, tapestry to pull from because you have an entire history of characters and stories to And to throw them and... into like this CIA espionage mission impossible type stuff. Like the book was real actual espionage missions. Like we need like like the uh, what they they needed the Invisible Man to like go yeah, through they, here the so film, they can go there. The film felt more like A Team stuff. One hundred percent. It was just uh, it was you know what it was. It was every scene was just this new spectacle of action, just that mid two thousands Michael Bay action. 
One minute, oh, we're all together in a library. Next thing you know, everybody has guns. Next thing you know, we're out in the street. Next thing you know, the the bombs are going off. And then this, then they that, and this. Off. It just, it kept going. There was no time. At least here, we had time to pause. Between every, like, little mission that they were trying to go through, we got back onto the, onto, onto uh, Nemo's ship. And we had time to, like, you know, recuperate. Here, there was no time. And it's not even that it was like this high octane action. It was action, but it was boring. There was no chemistry. There was no direction. Like, oh, all right, yeah. when Quartermain shoots that guy in Kenya and he's like, wait, he has a cyanide capsule. He literally goes like this and then he goes, his... stop that man. Yeah, he's like, stop that man. He might have poison. And, and then, then he goes, then he puts the poison in his mouth. Like, and the guy oh. dies and he's just like, okay, well. He has poison, well. Like there was no energy. That's what I'm looking. There was no atmosphere. This is this is an atmospheric comic book. But the writer. Is, the comic book is also kind of slow. Like the action scenes aren't that. This is not an action book. If I guess you would. Well, of course, but this is also stage. more volumes. Like there, this is probably a whole like, story that we have to continue I wouldn't to read. Install, I wouldn't call the prestige an action movie, but it has levels of tension and action in it. You know? Well, see, that's the thing. Their t- attention and action are always mutually exclusive, but you can still feel them differently. You don't yeah. need action to feel intensity. You could just watch an uncomfortable drama. Yeah, I think that um, a big part of this that they missed out in the film is searching for this gentleman here. Um, Jason Fleming played Dr. Jekyll slash Edward Hyde, uh, the titular character in Strange Case for Dr. Jekyll and Robert. I mean, Mr. Hyde. By Robert Louis Stevenson. Jekyll is a kind and respected English doctor who has repressed evil urges inside of him. In an attempt to hide this, he developed a type of serum that he believes will effectively mask his dark side. Instead, Jekyll transformed into Edward Hyde, the physical and mental manifestation of his evil personality. This process happens more regularly until Jekyll becomes unable to control when the transformations occur. Um, It was really cool to search for him, to hear the legends of him. I didn't know that that they were going to go get Mr. Hyde in the comic book. Yeah, because that's what I loved about it. The first couple of issues was all, we got to go get this guy. We got to go get this guy. But they would never say who it is. They would never be like, we got to go get this guy from this book. You know him, right? <laughs> you know. No, yeah, it's just, you, you've you heard the stories of, of a, of, uh, what was it? I think they, they, they don't they, name Edward Hyde until you see him. Exactly. There was just you heard the stories of that one scientist in England that went crazy and turned into a monster and then supposed killed. Same for um Harley Gr- Harlow Griffin. Yeah. To to them, he killed himself. No, not he killed himself. Um, he was beaten up by a mob. Well, no, it's the kill himself thing is right because it's not him that. That story. Is. Like everyone thinks that that man is dead. You have the Harley Griffin alive as the Invisible Man, and then you have. Skinner from the book who took it from Griffin took the serum. Yeah, he took the serum and everybody thought he was Harlow Griffin and they beat him like to death. How do you think about uh, Mr. Hyde in the book? Oh, Mr. Hyde looks great in the book. I'm going to actually flip right back to it because I just passed it. But he uh, I I guess for 2003 standards, it looks good how Hyde looked in the movie. I mean, you couldn't make that comic book accurate because the comic book drawing is a bit cartoonish. Oh no, the comic book drawing is definitely like he just—he, you know what it is? He looks like Sasquatch. Yeah, that's what it is. He just looks like a Sasquatch. He has like brown skin, but like it's like you like got a, a problem with brown skin. I have no problem with brown <laughs> skin. Like, why are you? Do, why are you trying to bait I me? I set you up. 
He's trying to set me up hard, but yeah, he looked like Sasquatch. Like he had like hairy arms and like um skeleton type face. Like the skin was so like sucked back that you could like see like the, the bone, bone of his nose. So I guess that's like the growing of his face. In a sense, yeah, I guess it would be like the growing of the face or like the shrinking of one face and morphing of another. Um, you also have Richard Roxburgh, who plays the Phantom M, Professor James Moriarty, a fictional character in some of the Sherlock Holmes stories written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Moriarty is a Machiavellian, Machiavellian criminal mastermind whom Holmes describes as the Napoleon of crime. Uh, Doyle lifted the phrase from a Scotland Yard inspector who was referring to Adam Worth, a real-life criminal mastermind and one of the individuals upon whom the character of Moriarty was based on. Uh, he's been often given a greater prominence and treated as Sherlock Holmes' arch nemesis. Yeah, he was like the he's the ins- him and and Sherlock Holmes are the inspiration of that opposite side of the same coin good guy bad guy the batman joker yeah clown prince of crime the napoleon of crime it's yeah it's all beautiful how it how these like victorian books inspired comic books in a sense right that's the thing like uh, a lot of the comic book characters that we would be watching today are archetypes based on characters like this so it would be weird when you then make a film about these kind of characters because people would be like oh he's just a blank when you don't realize that blank was just a him first. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so those are the majority of the characters that are the same between the film and the movie. Uh, here are the characters that are added to the movie. So we have Tom, Tony Coran as Rodney Skinner, uh, 20th century Fox was unable to get the rights for the literary character, the invisible man. Created by H.G. Wells. So they just used another character created by H.G. Wells? So the character... But the character in the movie was had to be renamed. But he can never be called the Invisible Man. So that's why he wasn't called the Invisible Man He's in the movie. He's called a Invisible Man. Yes. Okay. Except for the Invisible Man, all the characters had fallen into the public domain. Which means that anyone could write about them. The same rules apply to some Golden Age comic book characters. I guess like the Phantom, maybe? Spirit. The Spirit. I got to double check on those things. We got Stuart Townstead as Dorian Gray from The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. It's a really good book, actually. That's one of my favorite books. In synopsis, Dorian Gray is a, the subject of full-length portrait in oil by Basil the Hallward, an uh, artist impressed and infatuated by Dorian's beauty. He believes that Dorian's beauty is responsible for the new mood in his art as a painter. Though Basil, uh, through Basil, Dorian meets Lord Henry Walton and is soon is enthralled by the aristocrat's hedonistic worldview that beauty and sensual fulfillment are the only things worth pursuing in life. Newly understanding that his beauty will fade, Dorian expresses the desire to sell his soul to ensure that the picture, rather than he, will age and fade. The wish is granted and Dorian pursues a libertine life of varied Moral, amoral experiences while staying young and beautiful. All the while, his portrait ages and records every sin. He dies at the end of that, right? Yeah. I think they all die at the end of their book. Their books, which is kind of funny. And then we got Shane West as Tom Sawyer from The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. I try to look stuff about Tom Sawyer, but there isn't really anything about Tom Sawyer. Mark, written by Mark Twain. Um, Really, it was... um. It's an adventure with him and Huckleberry Finn. Yeah, but he was... Because you know, the thing is, Huckleberry Finn was always the main character of Mark Twain's story. Right. But Tom Sawyer was always 
the character that everybody took away from. He was the one that tricked people to paint the fence. Right, but he, like, is he an extraordinary gentleman? No. <laughs> I guess is the question that no. I I don't want to judge The him. movie made him a CIA agent. A fu- George, 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 the movie made Tom Sawyer. That, smelt, that stunk to me of, like, of um Orlando Bloom and... Um, Pirates. And I don't. I love Orlando Bloom's part in Pirates, but that felt like what he was trying to play. Like Sean Connery was going to be the main guy, who was obviously not going to be into anyone, and then you're going to have the young couple, you know. And I was like, okay, I get this already. And didn't Pirates come out like the year before? If not, if I'm not mistaken, didn't Pirates come out the same year as this? Oh my God! If Pirates came out in 2003, <laughs> that'd probably be the best movie. Oh no, that's what it was. Uh, because I was looking at the. I was doing research on the film, and the film uh, is second to that weekend. It was second to um, Curse of the Black Bro. Yes, that's yes, that's right. That's right. It was. Yeah. Now I do remember reading that too. Yeah. A lot well, of, Curse of the Black Pearl is a fantastic a lot of parallel movie. thinking going on here. Someone referenced the, the there's a fight between um, Torian Gray and Mina, and someone referenced it being very similar to the fight between X. No, Wolverine and uh, Lady Deathstrike in X2. And I believe it. Which came out the same year. And I <laughs> freaking believe it. But you, there had to have been time. People couldn't have been looking over their shoulder all that crazy for a year. Um, so one of the things that they do in this film is they get rid of uh, the one of the villains in the comic book. One of the villains in the comic book is called The Doctor. But he's in reference to this literary character called Fu Manchu. Who's this incredibly villainous, stereotypical uh, Chinaman? Mysterious, inscrutable man. You've seen the picture a million times. It's basically what the Mandarin is based on as well. It, I mean, the, the the name of the mustache style is legit called named the Fu Manchu. Yeah, it's named yeah, after him. Yeah. Um, but and what story did he come from? A bunch of it's a bunch of different stuff. But eventually, when it got closer to like the nineties, the early nineties, um, China had like a lawsuit. They legit sued. And so no, no one's trying to play with Fu Manchu anymore. Because I know was. I've heard Fu Manchu as a Chinese villain in so many different like like pop culture shows like Scooby Doo and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, there is. There looks to be. Oh my gosh! It says according to his. Uh oh. <laughs> the creator of Fu Manchu is this guy named Sax Rahmer. And it says, according to his own account, Sax Rahmer, without any prior knowledge and understanding of Chinese culture, decided to start the Dr. Fu Manchu series, which I guess is a series of movies? A series of novels. Um, then became cinema, television, radio, comic strips, comic books for 90 years. Archetype for an evil criminal genius and a mad scientist. Um, yeah, so he decided to start the series after his Ouija board spelled out Chinaman. Jesus. When he asked what would make his fortune. Oh, white people. Can we not white people today? That's, I just, that's it. That's the daily, that's the weekly serving. (laughs) That's, that's the weekly serving of white people that you got? All all, right. That's it. That's all. We're cutting you off. My God. So the doc, so his name is the Dr. Fu Manchu and he's legit. A villain. So it's a a series of novels about a villain. Yes. That which would be like Dracula, right? In a sense, yeah. So there's that. 
There is that. Are you ready to get into this? Let's get into this. We right, gave him yeah. enough spoiler free. Like I said, this was directed by Stephen Knott. Yeah, Stephen Norrington, and um, on a budget of what? Where the heck did I put that thing? On a budget of seventy-eight million dollars, it made one hundred and seventy-nine million dollars. One hundred seventy-nine, two hundred sixty-five. $204 million. Uh, so, I mean, it made his money back. It did make its money back. It wasn't a critical... I mean, it wasn't, you know... Like so it was a financial success. like success, in a sense. Not a success, but... No, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it a wasn't fail. A yeah, it wasn't a fail. Yeah. But it was critically a fail. Doesn't that mean we have like a 25% of Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, I know it's low. I know the IMDb is low. Some people love this film, though. And I can see, you know, like in this Ross Buckingham Nature, like I like the Mummy film. You know? Wait, I, which one? The first one. You mean the second one? No, the first one. So you like the one with Boris Karloff in the 50s? No, I don't mean The Mummy Returns. I mean... No, no, I'm talking... Everybody that knows the the Brendan Fraser mummy yeah. as the first mummy, that's yeah. not the first mummy. That's actually a reboot of a, of the original mummy, Boris Karloff, who also played Dracula. Because these are all... Remember, these are universal properties at this point. Yeah, there were famous books that got into the uh, into the hands of Universal, and they made these monster movies. So all the quote unquote monster movies that are like uh, parodied in pop culture, they're all w- actually one big connected universe. They're yeah, the original right. shared universe. The dark universe. Yep, they're the dark universe. Well, yeah. That's I mean, they were, gonna make. they were gonna do it, where they even had. Oh my god, I'm not getting into the into the Tom Cruise mummy. But uh, yeah, like in that kind of sense, I can kind of see that movie fitting that. Oh no, of... I can see this movie fitting the mold of someone that doesn't want to think and just wants to just like watch. But also, me personally, even if I was to shut my brain off and not think and watch, it's still too boring to to get me hooked. There was five Scorpion King films. Jesus freaking Christ! There was the Scorpion King, the Scorpion King Two: Rise of a Warrior, the Scorpion King Three: Battle for Redemption. The Scorpion King 4, Quest for Power. What? Are you... The Scorpion King Book of Souls. Did you just make some of these up? No. Book of Souls came out in 2018. Oh, man. This is also very The Mummy Returns. As well. There's also like six mummies. There was The Mummy, The Mummy oh, Returns. Yeah. Then there was Mummy 3, like Tomb of the Dragon well, Empire. You had, had the three. Mummy, Mummy Returns, and Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. But then you also had... um. The Mummy, The Mummy's Hand, The Mummy's Tomb, The Mummy's Ghost, The Mummy's Curse, which are those early universal mummy monster movies. So there's so many mummy movies. There's about as much mummy movies as there are Dracula movies ten. at this point. There's ten. Ten? Uh, ten? Ten. Yeah, there's still a little bit more Dracula movies because I don't know why in the 90s they came out with like five freaking Dracula movies. There was the Bram Stoker's Dracula. There was the one with um Gary Oldman. Like the Victorian 1992 Dracula. Oh my God! There was so many, and they had Robert De- Robert De Niro played Frank uh, Frankenstein's monster in a in a Frankenstein movie in the 90s. Like, but that's the thing is, I don't think Alan Corner means a Rick O'Connell in this film. I don't think he holds a candle to my boy from the Mummy. Um, no, no, the Brendan Fraser's Mummy. Brendan Fraser in the Mummy is probably my favorite performance that Brent Fraser has ever given us. He was young at the perfect moment. It was just peak Frazier. Okay, so this film starts off in 19, 1899. An attack on the Bank of England in London is committed by a group of men 
who appeared to be German soldiers using advanced explosives and automatic weapons, and even the first ever tank. This is followed by an attack on a German Zeppelin factory in Berlin by the same men, this time dressed as British soldiers, uh, that leads Europe to the brink of war. Germany says, not us! There's no reason for this. <laughs> they should have never shown this. This movie all. did not have to start off this way. No, nope. actually, the movie would have benefited if it didn't start off this way. Um, and we just knew that there was tension between these two, these two things, and maybe, like, there was just a better way of doing it. I always hate when you can see the villain do their thing, because that's I don't think that's realistic. In most books, and in real life, you only have your point of view or one person's point of view. When you cut over and you're like, you can see the person. Well, that's the problem when you don't have a main point of view story. When you have a story where you have to follow one person one scene, one person another scene. Now, now you have to take this approach where the audience has to be able to understand everyone's point of views. A little bit of everybody's. But they don't write it to the to the to the point where it can blend to now you understand why both. Of, there's moments where people don't have the conversation that they need to have in a movie. Yeah, and. In the audit for for specifically the audience, it's like oh, this builds tension, but now it, there's it it it's un it, there's no continuity for the you're manufacturing tension and there's they no should have just had the conversation. So you shouldn't need to see the villain blow up Germany then blow up England, right? Because in fact, we didn't even get any of this until like the third fourth book. The first three books was just finding yeah, the no people and get on anyone yet. not at all. It wasn't until they go to China. Well, as a matter of fact, the only reason why they wanted to find them was to get the cover right. Yes. In the book, Professor Moriarty is the person who hires everybody to grab up the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen so that they can go and get to fight the very nefarious doctor. And get doctor. that Cavarat floating device and bring it to... So he can make warships, air warships, which were... This is all pre... World War One. So now, how a lot cool of the horrors been? of this film are the horrors we would eventually get, but decades prior. So uh, there's a lot of talk of like, oh, that like um, uh, automatic weaponry is like uh, uncivilized or um, uh, like inhumane. So there's a lot of talk of that in the comics and in the book. Oh yeah, especially in the book where it's like people will take out guns, and a character would be like, oh, what you don't know how to be a good sport. Yeah. Oh, would it be more sportsman like if I shoot him in front of him? Like if I shoot yeah. him, it's like there's all of those talks. Hell, these people don't even know what a hot air balloon was. There's a lot. Of, this uh, this film was also a lot of like, oh, thank you. There's always there's a lot of like, like piffy. There's a lot people being of a weird scamp. dialogue. There's yes, a lot of people being scamps. You old scamp. Like you just saying some ha 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 ha. Some a sassy, stiff upper lip. Some yeah, some sassy British. Uh, 1890s, I guess, slang. Um, so, an emissary of the British government, Sanderson Reed, arrives in a gentleman's club. That was a gentleman's club? <laughs> in British East Africa, hoping to recruit the legendary but now aged hunter and adventurer, Alan Take No Shit Quartermain, uh, to investigate the situation. Uh, Sanderson Reed manages to get by Quartermain's incredibly. Uh, you know, intense bodyguard. In yes, sense. ruse, ruse. Where he has that fake guy, just in case anyone asks. But the him. question is, do I need England? My I God. guess he just wants people that really, really want to see him, so he can just turn around on that chair. Everybody needs that turn around introduction. Like, hello, 
here I am, piff, piff, paw. My God, this movie. He says that he doesn't really have a sense of patriotism, but he does wish to protect his beloved Africa. Because if it comes to Britain, odds are it's going to come to Africa. And there's even a big-ass explosion because his lodge is attacked and destroyed by a band of assassins. It's always a band of assassins. It's never a group. No. It's always a band. They come with bases. Or league. In London, Quartermain meets with the mysterious M, who explains his plan to assemble a modern version of a group of talented individuals known as the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Another reason why this movie fails for me, you don't meet M till like, book five. Yeah, there's a lot of talk of him, but you don't ever meet. To, to the point Which where... Which I think it's an Alan Moore thing, because remember they did that with, uh, like, Kid Miracle Man had disappeared for a while? Yeah. And they just, like, hear talk of him, and then he shows up. Same thing that they do something like that with Swamp Thing with um, Arcane. They talk about him before he ever shows up. He's real good at planting the seeds for things so you can anticipate it and then things happen. Here, it kind of just happens. That's the problem. Like, in the book, you, you had to take your time to meet all these characters. You had to go to the individual places. Like, all right, for meeting Invisible Man in this movie, he's already there. There was yeah. no going to get the Invisible Man. He's just legit sitting in the chair, butt naked, yeah, with no the, problem. In the comics. Oh, uh, man. Can we get there? Yeah, it's about, um, there's like, isn't it like a... It's right here. For Wayward Girls? Yep, it's it's legit oh, for Wayward Girls School. And there's mater- mysterious talks of immaculate conceptions going on in the school. Right, because it's also Christian. It's a like, Catholic-type school, so right. girls are waking up pregnant, and they're thinking the Holy Spirit is, is plucking them. The Holy Ghost. Oh, it ain't the Holy Ghost. Bro, the Invisible Man is raping underaged women in Catholic school. Because these girls are literally teenage girls. So this is a grown man having his way with teenage girls. He has like five kids right now. According to this book, he probably has like five freaking kids right now. He's going around having sex with I knew it was the Invisible Man when I saw this scene. Oh, and had the woman up in the air. When I saw that, I knew it was the Invisible Man when nope, when everyone was way too happy and they didn't understand what the hell was going on. I'm like, nah, this can't be. It's got to be. I thought it was like a ghost or something like that, but it's got to be something a little bit more hip. I'm just like, yo, is the Invisible Man? The Invisible Man is legit picking these girls up. Like, he's picking them up and humping them. They wear them. gowns to go to sleep, so he just has sex with them. And you see her in. That's the way this is drawn, that you see her in the air. Literally having it. Oh, oh, God. Yes, ah, like, yeah. She's legit feeling it. <laughs> like, yes. Oh, the, it's so weird and raunchy. I can see why it wouldn't translate well to a movie, obviously. Yeah. But st- but a lot of the other moments, like Finding Jekyll. And I also don't feel like somebody that would be... Somebody that that's on that line of amorality wouldn't necessarily be... Uh, described as being extraordinary. Am I wrong? In that? I guess they're using the word extraordinary as just powers wise. He's an extra. But then again, yeah, they're throwing the words extraordinary and gentleman, not just in a sentence. Yeah. And neither after none, each no other. No one here is a gentleman. Maybe Alan Quartermain is a gentleman. But I mean, you want to go movie Maddie. Alan Quartermain or book Alan book Quartermain? Alan Quartermain book Alan Quartermain is threatening this girl every panel. So He's like, I just want to shut her up. I just want to shut her up. I just want to shut her up. But I think they're going to end up getting together. I think they, I think that, that that's that weird will they won't they in the 1890s. Yeah, but she's like 20 years old and he's like 90. Like he in this book, he's legit like his skin is falling off of his bones. He can't die. Be we out here, Alan Quartermain. Alan Quartermain. Um. So 
there's a threat of this guy named Phantom, the true mastermind of the current crisis. Uh, they're hoping that the League can come together and ensure world peace by stopping him from destroying Venice. Quartermain is introduced to the Indian Captain Nemo, which we spoke about, commander of the world's only submersible vessel, the Nautilus. I don't remember. Were they promised amnesty in the movie? I feel... I don't think they were promised amnesty in the movie. Because that's the whole reason why they got together in the book. Yeah, yeah. They were they didn't come together because, hey, we have powers, let's be good. They, they got were together... On, a lot of them were on the run. Yeah. Uh, they were all on the run. Yeah. And they were basically getting uh, immunity. Yes, a second chance through the Suicide Squad, like you said. Until they, to the point where they end up working for England as a suitable paycheck. So it's like, like I say, you can give me these kinds of movies, and it's not enough for me to just be wowed at the name anymore. Especially when a book like this is giving me perfect character motivations, and then none of it gets translated into the film. Which then you can't even argue. Like, I remember in the beginning thinking, like, oh, why the hell is Alan Moore so upset about all this? But he kind of has a point. And it, it is hard. I'm not saying it's easy to, to do it. But a lot of times when it comes to stuff like this, and I'm like, well, how could they have improved the film? The easy answer is to go to comics, but not just in a hand-wavy kind of answer. I say go to comics because I'm not trying to uh, make the assumption that I can write a better story. You know? So I don't say I don't say I have a better story. This was movie. This movie wasn't good, and I have a better story. I'm saying this movie wasn't good, and a better story exists, and existed. You could have just did that. <laughs> you know, it's not me offering the solution. It's me saying that the solution was already there. You're you're 100 right. And it, my argument about my problem, not argument, my problem with this is that you know what you're signing up for the second you're taking on a script of work that's not yours. So if you're one of those kinds of people that's like, well, I just want to throw my own into this. No. Then get make your own group of people that come together to save the world. Don't call them these people. Call them something else. But we then there is no league in the film, right? There is no other league. No. <laughs> what There's does that mean? Because remember they recorded that cool message where they tell people what they did? Yeah. On They recorded it on a... Uh, on a uh, homophone is that called a homophone? I think that is called like a uh, no a phonograph. Phonograph. A phonograph. A homophone. <laughs> a homophone is when I think two words sound the same but mean two different things, like red and red. Oh, I thought it was like somebody who hates phones. But um, red and oh, red and red. Red and red. Yeah, you had to think about it for a yeah, second. Yeah, I had to think about it. Uh, so meet Captain Nemo, who has a way cooler ship on the in the book than in the way cooler ship film. Invisible Gentleman Thief. Invisible Gentleman Thief. What is an invisible You're reading thief? Wiki, right? Yeah. Rodney so then Skinner. that's straight from... Yep, Rodney Skinner was the guy that ends up getting killed by the mob in the book. Right. Um, who works for the government in hopes for an antidote for the invisible serum he stole. Mina Harker, a vampire and well-regarded chemical scientist. The group also recruits the mysterious immortal Dorian Gray. Dr. Henry Jekyll, who can transform into the superhumanly strong... Edward Hyde under the effects of a special elixir and special secret agent, Tom Sawyer. In Hyde's case, he had to be hunted down by Quartermain and Sawyer before Jekyll offers his services for reprieve of his crimes as Hyde. So yeah, Jekyll does get amnesty. Or he at least wants it in the movie. No, I know. I remember Jekyll was the only person, that, uh, Hyde was the only person that was promised amnesty because they had to get him to calm down. There are a ton, and maybe it was just me, 
awkward, random-ass cuts in this film. You're not alone, A scene will just cut, and it will just go to some other random scene. They they legit just cut, and... Please talk about it. And what's-his-face is running across the tops of the rooftops. No, no, no. My favorite one is what Nemo is like, Oh, you doubt the Nostralis very much. You yeah. doubt her greatly, and it just cuts into the sea movie. Yeah, it's like fade into the sea mid conversation. Like that's not, yeah, like that's not it. Were we talking? Are you fading out of this talk? This conversation. Oh my god! I, they did, but when they did the, the hide one, I was like, wow, you you buried the whole reveal. The they made a bigger a bigger spectacle of him turning into Jekyll. Than they did of him turning into Hyde for the first time. Which is weird. That's the one you want to see. You want to see him turn into the monster. You don't want to see the monster turn back to the human. What do you think about that effect? Uh, A bunch of lights and... I hate that that flash effect. That quick... That that, that, that shaky cam quick flash effect. You know what it is? It's it's the saw. From the movie Saw where the... Did Saw come out in 2003? I think Saw came out, might have came out 2003 or 4. <laughs> My God, if Saw came out. You know what I need you to look up? I need you to look up when 13 Ghosts came out. Saw so did come out in 2003. Oh, no. Wait, it says 2003 film, but then it says 2004. That means it was it premiered at, at, at a festival in 2003. It okay. wasn't theatrically released to the public till 2004. But it's still a 2003 movie. Yeah. So that still counts as a 2003 movie. Jesus. That is funny. What was going on in the water? Was everybody just on the same madness? Well, it it's the whole vertical limit. Not vertical limit. What was it? Um, It was Armageddon and a specific movie. Uh, you uh, you know the movie. <laughs> um, that's, not why I'm, that's not why I'm doing this. Underworld came out in 2003. <laughs> what? What is life? What is going on? Yo, all of, oh, what is going on? Yo, and you know what the worst part is? This movie what ended up inspiring a lot of other comic book movies because that scene Holy with shit. Hyde's fight scene in this movie. Tell me that's not Hulk and Abomination in Hulk. Basically, <laughs> didn't Hulk come out two thousand three? I think Hulk did come out. Oh There's my god, Hulk! There's a lot. I. And, Think Hulk came out two thousand three. Eric Banner's Hulk came out two thousand three. Oh my god! What the hell was going on? That's in a weird year of comic book. That movies. That is a bad year. That's in a general. bad year for comic book movies. Holy there's hell! There's like there's not Everyone one just knockout. Missing the mark. Daredevil did the best. Well, no, uh, X two. X two. Yeah. Holy hell! What the hell was in the water? Man. Certainly not the sword of the sea. Give me a bad taste in my mouth. Uh. What do you think about Dorian Gray? Uh, growing up, I loved him. The character portrayal, the the actor that portrayed uh, him. Yeah, growing up, I loved him, and then I'm watching him now, and I'm just like, he's a bit um flamboyant. Yeah, like when he was being gunned down, and the guy's like, "What are you?" And he's like, "I'm complicated." It wasn't the line; it was just the way his shoulders moved and his yeah, body's just like, "I'm complicated." It was yeah, like a very saying. flamboyant. Not that that flamboyancy is a problem. It was weird for me because I, I've, as I stated before, I'd never seen this film, so I only read the comics. So when I'm when he's in the group, I'm like, okay, so he can't die. What is he here to do? I had absolutely no idea he was going to eventually be uh, a reveal to be a spy. Um, but 
it's weird because his only existence is because his only existence in this film is to do something that I don't feel like is necessary in this film, which is take DNA samples from everyone and make that's the plot that they're gonna make like some super army that's also invisible and vampires and great shots. I guess. What do you get from Quartermain? Can't uh, die in Africa. What did they take from <laughs> Quartermain? Because I know he took one of uh, Jekyll's samples. He took uh, blood from Wilmina and skin from Skinner. God yeah. damn it! Skin, I, I, he skinned Skinner. Oh, he yeah, took no, some no, skin no, from no, the Invisible yeah, so Man. Yeah, so in the comics, like we said, they it's it's funnier because it's like okay, a mysterious guy gets all these people together to steal something from him so he can destroy the world. And but the whole point in of it was case, it was they, Wilmina was convincing them because she convinced herself that this was Sherlock Holmes's kid. Minecraft Holmes. Yeah. So this whole time you're thinking it's... I mean, obviously, I've seen the movie first, so I knew M was the bad guy, M was Moriarty. But if I did read this before watching the movie, it would have been such a bigger reveal. It's funny because when I was reading the comic, they kept saying James M. M like, I, like I'm supposed to know it. The way Adam Moore is, like, I'm just thinking yep. to myself, like, who the hell? Am, I'm not as well-versed. Like, who in literary is James M. James M. Then they finally said Moriarty, and I know that name in reference to Sherlock Holmes. So I put two and two together. And he's fine. Mr. M as a shadowy, non-seeing, non-heard of person in the comics is way better than this weird phantom person. The Napoleon... He didn't even have to be the phantom. But I'm saying, this whole... Yeah, this whole um, criminal mastermind thing, I don't feel like a criminal mastermind puts on a costume and runs around like a crazy person. Not at all. I feel like he may pay somebody to do such. But I don't think he would go around and do that. I don't feel like Moriarty would would do those things. And I feel so like the costume he came up to is ridiculous. What oh, is definitely. that phantom he, outfit? He had like What's a, up with the face stuff? Uh, was that to say something? Was that to... Was yeah, that, why was his face burnt? What was, was it makeup? Did he literally take time to put makeup on? Every day because he pulls it off when they... Um, when Quartermain shoots him, they... Uh, he... Quartermain shoots him and like some of his stuff comes off and then he takes the rest of it off himself. Like and an he's idiot. regular. And yeah, he's fine. And he's like, oh, it's you. But see, this is what was so perfect. It was, all right, Mr. Moriarty making Bond get all these people together and do this one specific mission end up having these people put their own ideas into their head what's going down because they don't know they're working for a bad guy. Wasn't Bond also not even kind of hip? Didn't he get everything told to him at the last minute? He didn't even know that his employer was Moriarty. Yeah, so like that even speaks to that. And then while while they're going on these missions like, for Moriarty getting the cavalry or whatever, right. they're putting their their own ideas into their head that, oh, now the Chinese has something to do with the Indians, and the Indians are plotting against the British. and the, So they're just by accident doing all of the like making Moriarty's plan go into motion by thinking it's something else and someone else. Yeah. So that when it gets the reveal of Moriarty, anybody that didn't watch League first would be like, holy crap, they're accidentally working for the bad guy. So they're accidentally doing bad guy things, not knowing yeah. Fu Manchu in this particular adaptation is the good guy here. And because of the Suicide Squad, they're a group of undesirables. It doesn't matter if they all die or exactly. are all killed in, and they even, in duty. And they even kept um, Bond. I know in the book they kept Bond. Like, Bond is like, we have to keep a close eye on this one now. Like, you know, like the CIA always keeps the undesirables on a close eye or... No, M6 or whatever they're called. M6. Which is hilarious because that means 
Bond, M6. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Like, That's fine. oh, my you God. M5 as well. Um, okay. So, now that everybody's a team and everybody's happy, uh, where'd I go? You were at the part where you asked me about how I like Dorian. Yeah, because they allude to his... He has, like, a, for, a former relationship with uh, Mina. Which, I don't know if that's a book thing. Is that a book reference? He's not even in the book. Well, he's in the Oh, book. I don't he's think... He's in his book. <laughs> oh, his book. I don't even think... No, because remember, these are two different yeah, literary characters. Stroke. Yeah, she's from Bram Stoker's Dracula. He's from Oscar Wilde's other thing, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, weird. The group reaches... Does... Uh, they're supposed to be reaching Venice for this whole bombing thing. Um, and they take off on the submarine. But they find out that there's a traitor in their midst when flash powder is found in the wheel room of the Nautilus and a vial of Jekyll's transformation serum is determined to be missing. Naturally, they all think that the invisible thief is Skinner and he's the culprit, but nothing can be done because they don't know where the hell Skinner is. When the group reads Venice, a series of bombs that are planted underneath the city start to detonate shortly after, toppling buildings in a domino effect. There's a lot of explosions in this film, and a lot of cuts to dynamite, and a lot of ticking ticking clocks, and weird steampunk explosions. Is that- but the worst part about it is, is there's no color to it. Even fireworks, whose job is to be colorful, are just this bland sepia yellow. Yeah, it's weird. How do you have bland-looking fireworks? But they're also in Venice. Venice is, like, very, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a tourist attraction. It's a beautiful place. Uh, I guess maybe, well, there's also a lot of industrial stuff going on in those days. Maybe that's why it's so dark. Too many um, smokestacks. There wasn't really the EPA around there. Oh, snap. So they were already a team by book three. Book one is with Quartermain. Book two. So by the end of book one, they're after Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. So by the start, so by like the start, um... halfway through the beginning of book one, they uh, book two, they already have Jekyll, and now they're after the Invisible Man. Yeah. To where the book ends, book two ends with getting the Invisible Man and Jekyll, and like these colorful damn pages. Yeah, when they go to China, all those, all those, like see, like this, that's my league right there. Nemo, Jekyll, Quartermain, Wilmina, and Invisible Man. That's my league right there. Also looks very Doom Patrol. Dude, tell me this doesn't look Doom Patrol-esque. Yeah. Like, this this right there, how can you not translate something like this perfectly? Especially now that you're bringing up shit like Doom Patrol, things like like um The Boys and Umbrella Academy. We can do that, but we can't take these awesome Alan Moore. Alan Moore is one of the greatest comic book writers. I don't care. Everybody can fight me. He's one of the best comic book writers. How can we not translate his stuff into perfectly structured films? Yeah. And now that you tell me From Hell is an Alan Moore adaptation. I know why he got so frustrated. That, that movie is garbage. I haven't seen it yet. Garbage. Don't spoil it. I'm not going to spoil anything. <laughs> not on this one. Not on this cast. Uh, the team decides that knocking out one of the buildings out of the sequence is the only way to stop the chain of explosions. Nemo has a missile that can be fired from the Nautilus at the building in question, but only if a beacon can be set in place. Since Nemo can track his automobile, allowing it to serve as the beacon... Sawyer drives the car past the chain of explosions as Gray and Mina embark to fight the Phantom's henchmen. Quartermain, meanwhile, notices and gives chase to the Phantom on foot. During the chase, the Phantom is unmasked and revealed to be M, 
who then escapes. At the same time, Sawyer crashes the car into the Target building. No, no, no. No, no, no. Not car. Automobile. 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 He should have died. Because <laughs> he crashed he never the car into the building. Oh, my God. That scene, he fired yeah. the flare. The building exploded. And then he walks out the rubble without Dennis even a saved, scratch on him. But he's fine. Not a scratch. Not even a scratch. Uh, the league regroups at the Nautilus where Quartermain reveals that M is behind everything. Nemo's first mate, Ishmael, also reveals that Gray, not Skinner, is the traitor as he had been morally shot by Gray, who escapes in an exploration pod. That weird... Oh, that reminded me of um, Wild Wild West. Those weird pods in the... Yeah. That came off that ship. Um, Nemo set, sets the Nautilus in pursuit, but a record is found from M and Gray, revealing to the League... Revealing that the League was a ruse. So that M could steal physical elements from each of the League's members. So as to construct an army of superpowered soldiers. Which looks so much better in the book because this is the this is the like the last page of book three. Uh they got the Cavarat, they're in China, everyone is back on the Nautilus, and then you have this one little panel of of Mr. Bond just walking through, and then bam, out of nowhere, Moriarty. And look how he even looks in the book. He's legit like this old, short, gangly-looking man. He can't fight. There's no fighting for him. But he's like, it's me, James. Call me James. Like, oh, man. The reveal is perfect. And then you even have book... This is where it started getting great for me because by book five, it opens up with a flashback of Moriarty and Sherlock in their one last fight. And oh yeah, on the by the waterfall. Oh, it's so good because he's in like you know what it, what 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 gets me here is I think Alan Moore did this had this drawn on purpose. Tell me he doesn't look like the Red Hood. Oh yeah, the way he's falling, he just looks like yeah. the Red Hood going into the vat. Yeah, and I was waiting for like the red cape in the film, but he wears that weird fur vest thing. He also shaves his mustache, so he's now he's not even a mustache twirling villain. It's just weird. I, I'm not. I wasn't. It, he was fine with the mustache. It was fine that he was Phantom. Didn't like the Phantom outfit. They don't even like the Phantom moniker. What is? What is that? What is going on? Why would you want a, a face to that thing? It's just. Sorry. Whatever. Um. No, it, it's okay. We're we're giving the same energy that this movie gave. Have that scene where the record is playing, right? And they're like, well, this has been our plan the entire time. This pisses time. me off because why are they going and doing cuts as if we're watching a video? There was no reason to show us cuts as if we were watching a video. We're listening to a recording. We're listening to them. Ima- we're wa- listening to them and imagining them watch what they think happened as dictated by the thing they're listening but to. But what just gets me is like they're, they literally filmed a whole scene of Moriarty and Dorian sitting in a room... With Dorian pacing back and forth, and Moriarty just sitting like this, yeah, and then but giving him the taking the things, but the delivery of the, like their body language is if there's a camera in front of them and they're trying to be very cunning. But you're talking on a recording, right. shouldn't realistically and especially that era, shouldn't they be bent over a table talking into that phonograph? Also, when did he? I thought they they I thought that they got the blood from her. She was like the one of the last people they stole from, wasn't it? Or was it the vial? Uh, I could have sworn he did that all at once. 
Like when he goes okay. to meet, he meets Skinner, shakes his hand, cuts him. Then they're on the ship wandering around. I think he goes and has that one-on-one conversation with Jekyll. Swipes the right the vial. But then they park at Venice, right? This happens. That's right, because he takes the blood after she's already the vampire. Because yeah. she comes back as a normal person, and he she's like wiping her mouth on like a the napkin right. or whatever, and he takes it. Yeah, right. So that so, she is the last person he grabs. So when did they have time to record this? Uh, and create it. I don't know how long it takes to create a record. Especially in in the eight in the the and, and then attach a homing. I guess you can call it 1900s at this point, basically. And it, they did it, it. It it I guess it's just in. They did it only for the reason that they did it in those old serials, which is like just to get caught, right? They is that the only reason why villains? It's the monologue the before they loot. That it's it has been for failure. a cliche structure since the dawn of good and evil storytelling. There's always that. Villain has a moment to kill the hero, but he doesn't kill the hero because he has to stop in monologue. Where it was even stopped in The Incredibles. He's like, you sly dog, you got me monologuing. Or um, in Kingsman with uh, Samuel L. Jackson, where he's like, do you really think I'm going to sit here and tell you my whole plan if there was even a way that you could stop it and stuff like that? Like When movies like do something like that, bam. Watchmen, perfect example. Freaking... um. Adrian set off the bomb th- three minutes before any of them even got to Antarctica. Yeah. But here, it's just, yeah, it's just a story structure that's been just told since the beginning. Just Let's just have the villain monologue. It makes no sense. Uh, but you're right. The, the like weird pompous black and white stuff was a bit weird. It was all weird, man. Like there's There's so many scenes of them just literally standing and looking at each other. Like... Nemo and Quartermain had the best chemistry in this book. None of that was translated to film. Yeah. I don't even think those two actors in in real life liked each other. That's how bad it was. They were not paying attention to each other. There was just no chemistry. There was no chemistry. I don't... And what, what do you think about that whole... You mentioned it earlier, that whole, like, love square thing. Like... It wasn't even like that in... All right. In the book... It was eluded. Everyone was mad at her in the book, but all she was an independent woman. Exactly. In, in, the, in the early nineteen, the late eighteen hundreds to the early nineteen hundreds, they were not about to be told what to do from a woman. That's just basically what it was. The and only she had sort to of gain thing their that they had by busting her ass. Exactly. She had to fucking work her ass off to be respected. And and yeah, there was a few panels where Jekyll maybe implied that he had a crush on her, like he found her cute. But other than that, everybody found her to be uptight and pompous. Yeah. No one wanted anything to do with her, really. But that that is what it came around at the end, where everybody is starting to like each other and work together. This movie, I felt like they were just forced, like like circumstances were forcing them to do to, to work together. Like the Jekyll in the in the book, I can see sacrificing himself in a way that he did in the movie. Movie Jekyll, I can't see him turning into Hyde. Swimming all the way down to open that latch. They, they don't really do much to flesh out. It's all they, above surface. They do that weird mirror stuff where they look in the mirror and they see the other versions of themselves. And they're just talking. It, it, but it, but what does it all mean? I wanted to. I'm sorry, but sometimes well, I wanted so to mean something. The, the whole thing is that they grabbed Quartermain first, so that Quartermain could capture Hyde, 
That was the entire reason. Like we were talking about before, what was why do we they need Quartermain? They're not taking because they needed a big him. game hunter. Yeah, they a big game hunter to capture Hyde, and then they needed to grab Hot the, the formula from Hyde, Mina's blood, Skinner skin, and then uh, starting a world war to se- being able to sell weaponry based on the powers of the league. Um, they play the record, and it also releases a signal, which sets off more bombs. But also, it acts like a dog whistle for Hyde, yes. which I don't understand how. But something. But something. he does. But he's he's able to stop the the ship from sinking, and then they follow the, a signal from Skinner to the Arctic, and they all have Joel Schumacher Arctic outfits, like just like the Batman movie. Yo, what is it with Alan Moore's books ending up having the movies end up having this like final battle in Antarctica? Or at least he thinks that the villains are cold-hearted enough that they like to be in Antarctica. No, because no, it makes sense why Adrian's hideout was Antarctica. He's a secluded, a loner, yeah, recluse also type person. Go to like Egypt, right? That's like his whole <laughs> brand. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but here there was here there was no Antarctica in the book. So for this final fight scene to be in like Antarctica, and then the Watchmen five years later to have its final fight scene in Antarctica, and you, both being Alan Moore books is not happenstance. Scene a bit. That's a loose term. Okay, fine. Uh, climactic third act, third, act. third act climax. Yeah, in a sense. Um, and then, the, oh, we didn't talk about the weird moment with a tiger, where it's just... Oh, yeah. I don't know what the hell... Quartermain looking at a tiger? I don't know what the hell the... I think he was, like, he was getting real sexual with that tiger. He was just... Something was going on with that tiger, and I don't, I don't, I don't purport to understand what was going on. He didn't want to kill it, but he did want to kill it, I don't it, think but... I want to understand what was going on with that tiger. Then let's just move on, baby. Let's just go. So, uh, Skinner meets with the group. And they all apologize for calling him a traitor. He's also naked in the snow, which is fine. Uh, splitting up, the League infiltrates the factory. Nemo and Hyde freed the scientists and their families. So in quarter, go after M. Mina goes in search of Grey. And Skinner sets off to plant some more explosives. Because that's all they do in this movie is blow things up. Nemo and Hyde run into M's second-in-command, Dante, who drinks a very large dose of Jekyll's formula and transforms into a gigantic hulking monster to combat Hyde. Mina fights a stalemate battle with Grey. Little is accomplished as they are both immortal until she confronts him with the enchanted portrait of himself and when he sets eyes on the painting, he rapidly dies and decays. How'd you feel about the death of Dorian Grey? Bad CGI is bad. I didn't hate it. I don't even think that... I don't think Hyde looks terrible. In the words of Mr. Sunday Movies, close your eyes! (laughs) Close your eyes! Why couldn't you just close your eyes? Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm guessing he could just close. He could have just closed his eyes. When it comes to just evil paintings, um, and yeah, I don't know, man. Her, uh, her in the comics just being a regular female standing up to these monsters, literally, literally monsters of men. Um, there was something endearing in that. Her just being another monster. I don't know. It's just it. You know what it does is it doesn't flesh out the character. It doesn't give them something to stand out. Wilmina Murray in the book stood out because she doesn't have the vampiric powers. She just The most you can probably say is she's immortal. You're bitten by a vampire, you're immortal. That's just yeah. how it goes. Even if you don't get super strength and super speed and you turn into a bat, at the end of the day you get bit by a vampire, you're immortal. So she's immortal. So it's like, you know by context, it, 
by implication, she has nothing to fear. But through context of what they're giving us of who this character is, if you were to read this before League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you don't, you don't have enough information to know who she is. You would literally have had to have read her before to know who she is. Yeah. Just like how you say you haven't read any of these characters' actual books that they came from. So I didn't get the setup, yeah. If you didn't know League of Extraordinary... And you know what? You didn't... What, did you, you read this before watching the movie. So seeing her yes. here before knowing that she's a vampire... When she first bites to that guy, I'm like, what the hell is going on? Because I you're like, she she's a human. Dracula, but I thought that she was just a... A, a human. A, yeah, a character in Dracula, yeah. Based, so that's there you go. That you're basically getting hit so with I was the like, same well, way. I was kind of upset because I was like, if this is something that was supposed to be eventually unraveled in the books, I'm pretty sure there would have been a, a way better reveal than just than I'm gonna what, bite you. Than what happened there. And oh yeah, I'm into this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. Well, and it's also alluded to because like there's a part where like they ask her to take her scarf off and she's like absolutely not, and it's like okay, so you know the bite marks are there. Yeah, you know like. That was my problem. Like I knew who she was, not because of Dr- not because of Bram Stoker originally, but it's like, all right, I've seen this movie. I remember who she was in the movie, but then you remember the name Wilmina, and you're like, oh wait, no, you're the wife of Dracula. That's right. Well, the wife of the second Dracula, which once again, movie re- movie recommendation of the week: watch Werner Herzog's Dracula. It's a it came out in the eighties. Great movie. Hmm. No, it, it's a it's a legit like a shot for shot remake of the nineteen twenties Nosferatu. Not Dracula, Nosferatu. Sorry, Nosferatu. Watch both versions, the twenties versions and the eighties reboot or remake. Both versions are great Dracula works. Quatermain confronts M in his lair and reveals his deduction that M is none other than the supposedly dead Professor James Moriarty. But that was the thing is Moriarty was never dead in the book. Like, he was never reported dead in the books. Well, as he says that, then Moriarty goes, I, that man was dead and I reborn. And as he's talking all that crap, we find out that um, Homeboy is being kept by a Invisible Man. Not the Invisible Man. And not even the other Invisible Man, Rodney Skinner. But there seems to be some evil Invisible Man holding um, Sawyer hostage at knife point. Uh, yeah. Too much bullshit. There's a lot of bullshit going on. There was a lot of bullshit As the explosive on. goes off, um, Nemo and Jekyll manage to escape the building through a small hole in the wall while Dante, being too large to fit, is crushed to death by falling debris. Remember because he got too jacked up, that other hiding guy? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He kind of looked terrible. Terrible CGI. But I also wonder, like, wouldn't your skin just rip at that point? Like, what would happen? He should have just blew up. Like, I thought that's what they were alluding to. I exactly when he was thinking that. I thought he was gonna point, blow up. He goes like, "Oh, he's taking way too much." I'm like, "He's gonna say he's gonna explode." He's like, "He should be reverting back to his normal self sometime soon." Like that's what. what? So you should just wear. You supposed to just wear him out. Um. Yeah. So, Quartermain, about to kill Moriarty, sees Sawyer being held at knife point, like I said, and chooses to save Sawyer at the cost of being stabbed himself. He, and the thing is, everyone's just stabbing each other in this film. Am I, am I lying? Nope. A million bullets in this get expelled. And everyone, stab in the shoulder, stab through the stomach, stab with a rhino horn, stab... The, it's the choreography that pisses me off. Dorian Gray's choreography pisses me off, because I feel like he's not even, like... I feel like he's slapping people with the sword. He's just like, do, 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 do. You don't like his, his prissy nature? 
he's parrying when he should be attacking. I feel you. Also, if you're immortal, the fuck do you care who's shooting? Walk up to them while they're shooting at you and twist their neck off. Yeah, there need- was a there was a lot of like showy stuff that you wouldn't you wouldn't do all that theatrical stuff. You just go straight to the also. The, that whole scene where the, all the people were, all the bad guys were like in a round on the on the library, oh, the ladder? and they threw the ladder. They wouldn't have taken that time for all that shit. It How does a ladder two, knock them all out? It would hit two people and then it would have stopped. It oh yeah, the velocity the alone would have. It wouldn't have had the momentum to knock out but everybody nope, else. It went all which which is just as if wanted ripped off. So many movies to me seem like they ripped off of League and did it better. Because remember the ending of the movie Wanted? Where, he shots around, where she shoots, shoots around, around the whole the thing? Library. A lot of libraries in this place. A lot of libraries and movies that have these big shootouts. Well, that's how you can tell somebody is of means when they smell like mahogany and uh, leather bound books. Could have been Balsa at least. You know? What's the one in um, Saw? The Table? Oh my god. Uh, Some like big expensive yeah, ass table. I there was one in Better Call Saul, an expensive ass table that they kept wanting to get. Um so Sawyer is forced to use the marksmanship skills that Quartermain has taught him and manages to kill a fleeing Moriarty before he can leave in his stolen submersible vehicle. Quartermain dies soon after, telling Sawyer that the new century belongs to him now. In a very Thunder-Sun thunder moment. Thunder-Sun <laughs> becomes the Thunder Gun. If you get that, I'm not even going to ref- explain that nope, reference. Nope, just the Thunder-Sun thunder, thunder sun becomes Thunder Gun. And, yeah. Um, the League assembles in Africa to bury Quartermain. As the group departs, a tribal witch doctor takes a handful of dirt from Quartermain's grave. <laughs> I'm watching the end of this. This end scene doesn't even seem like it exists in this film. It seems like it exists in a completely different film. And this also kind of also reminded me, it's funny, we're talking about Thunder Sun, but it reminded me of Lethal Weapon 4 or 5 or 6 when uh, Chief, what's his face? Lazarus comes out of the ground. In- oh. <laughs> All of that. <laughs> I was like, this is ridiculous. Oh my, oh my God. We are reminded of a witch doctor's pronouncement recounted by Quartermain at the beginning of the movie that Africa would not let Quartermain die. The earth violently, the shakes violently, making the rifle that Sawyer left on the grave on the grave shake. Lightning strikes Quartermain's grave right before the screen cuts to black, and then we get ready for uh, Justice League. I think that's how, that's how that goes, right? The, the the dirt rises a little bit, which which totally sucks because the ending of this book was just it wasn't those like open ended endings. Yeah. Like how this it was straight up, you know that there's gonna be a volume two because evil's punished, they uh Britain is saved, and now the league is literally on retainer for England. So like they're su- they're they're basically the suicide squad in a sense. They're like on retainer. Anytime England needs help, they're gonna call the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And it ends with Quartermain saying, Well, you know, he's paying us an awfully lot of money to sit around and do nothing. To which M- Miss Murray says Oh, I don't know, Mr. Quartermain. Is a, these are very tem- tremulous times, and something might turn up, but the last page is legit something falling back into the earth. So did you hear what was going to be the... Well, did you hear what happens next in the comic? No, I kind of want to download Volume 2 and read it. I only uh, downloaded Volume 1 to get ready for this. So what I found was extremely interesting is that um, a planned sequel was canceled due to negative critical reception and poor box office receipts 
It would have been an adaptation of the second series of the comic book. In the second series of the comic book, the League battles the Martian tripods from H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. I think that's what this might be. That's what the next... Oh, if that's the case, I'm going to... I'm going to... Re- I've, I'm... Seen, I've seen the pictures. Oh, you saw the pictures? They fight those big three-legged... Oh, man, that's going to be awesome. Yo, we could, we should totally just cover this one day. Yeah. Um... Especially since what you told me off-air. I felt a little weird about Alan Quartermain dying because it did feel it did feel like okay we're just gonna give it to the young the, you know the younger star, but Alan Quartermain, Captain Nemo, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, Dorian Gray, and Professor Moriarty all died in their original novels or stories. So, yeah, in an interview with the Times, Kevin O'Neill, illustrator of the comic, said he believed the movie failed because it was not respectful of the source material. He did not recognize the characters when reading the screenplay and claimed that director Stephen Norrington and Sir Sir Sean Connery did not cooperate. Finally, O'Neill said that the comic book version of Alan Quartermain was a lot better than the movie version and that marginalizing Mina Murray as a vampire changed the whole balance. Once again... I mean, he only he only co-created it. He only co-created it. You know, he only co-created the story. Yeah, you don't ever hear like the. Well, maybe I have to do a deep dive, but you never hear the Ninja Turtle guys being like, "I can't believe what they did with the Ninja Turtles." Because you want to know why? Because at the end of the day, no matter how bad certain people might think the movies are, they still are recognizable <laughs> characters. They have the traits there. Yeah. If you were to read the script of Michael Bay's Ninja Turtles movie. Hundred percent, you'll be like, okay, this on paper, this is a Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah, because it translates well. Alan Moore's work, for some reason, just doesn't translate well to these people. That I don't know what goes through their minds where they're like, I have to, I have to adapt this. I have to adapt this. I have so to adapt fast. the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and it, and it's only its two year run. So fast, like, and then they needed Sean Connery. You know, that they needed Sean Connery for seven, seventeen million dollars. Seventeen million dollars. Jesus. Uh, yeah, man. I don't know, and you know, I feel like you got like I'm thinking of pirates again. Like you have Johnny Depp was established like Sean Connery. You know, he's. I would I would guess Sean Connery's more high profile at the time. Yeah, Bond, Highlander, uh. Zathara or Zarg Zardas, whatever that movie, the because it was in um Rick and Morty. It was in Rick and Morty. Yep. Um, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, what would have fixed this film? I, I color, think color would have fixed this. Color, film. I think younger, younger, hipper, more, more like passionate would, directors. God damn it. How hard is it to get a passionate director on one of these movies? I mean, the guy wanted to make the film and it it, it happened. He got his he did what he had to do, which was make money. It didn't make a lot, but it made money. Could have saved seventeen million dollars if he would have just got a different uh Alan Quarterman. But yes. Uh it's funny though, because I have never seen this film. And I've I've already told you that I've been on a a uh marathon of reading exceptional material and then watching uh depictions so why not go for the third time in a row because two weeks ago or so we covered um birds of prey uh was that two weeks ago yep 
Because yeah. last week we covered the alcoholic. Yes. So two weeks ago we covered Birds of Prey. Um, read a lot about Harley Quinn and then went to the theaters to see Birds of Prey and see see how it well how it went. Didn't go too well. Um, read League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Sat and watched it on Blu-ray. It didn't go too well. Next week, uh, we reread Red Sun, Superman Red Sun, and watch the animated release of that. And hope maybe in animation, some things can get translated a little bit better. We're going to have to get you on Road to Perdition and History of Violence. Yeah. It, I mean, this definitely isn't our first animated. This won't be our first animated uh, review for a film ever. You were on the Hush episode. Oh, uh, which damn it, that movie. Yeah, which uh, you guys can find by going back uh, and searching for all the episodes of Comic Book Click. Yeah, I've done it myself. The search engine on the website, guys, is so easy. Legit, just type in the name. Type in just one part of the episode. Type in Miracle, and you'll get Mr. Miracle and Miracle Man, like, with no yeah. problem. Like, it's that easy. All of our episodes are available at comicbookclick.com. And we'd like to say, on behalf of comicbookclick.com, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast, even if you didn't like the film. Or even if you do like the film, write in. Let us know how you felt. Uh, we like exp- expressing our opinions, but we love reading yours and uh, finding out what the temperature is in the room. I was able to ask some people earlier this week on our social media how they felt about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and it ranged. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. But it definitely made people feel something, and I guess that's what art is for. So there is that. But, yeah, thank you everyone who listens to this every single week thank you for listening if this is your first week uh the easiest way to listen to more episodes is to go to comicbookclick.com which is the one stop for all things comic book click including episodes of the major issues podcasts and articles uh in the major articles section comicbookclick.com but you can find all episodes of the major issues podcast available wherever podcasts are found that's podbean stitcher podcast addict the apple podcast app google podcast apple podcast uh, I think I said that already. Uh, if you have an iPhone, there's already a podcast app on your phone, bro. They already put it on there. You didn't even ask them. They already did it. But now that it's there, what's the use of getting rid of it? Open it. Look up the search. Type in major issues. We'll be the first ones to pop up. If you want to do all that, go to Google. Yeah. Type in major issues podcast. We'll be the first ones to pop right up because we're always talking about the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. Go to comicbookclick.com. Again, like I said, not only is it the easiest place to um, get all the episodes of the Major Issues Podcast, but you can comment on any episode of the Major Issues Podcast right there on the page, and uh, we'll get that notified automatically, and we will we'll read it on the next episode. Get your voice heard. If you guys can do us a favor, we provide all this content free of charge. We do a lot of work, a lot of research um, to provide this content. But if you guys can do us a favor, rate and review us on iTunes. It's the quickest way for us to grow as podcasters and learn what you guys like and what you don't like and improve the podcast experience in general. I've been to the future. I, I try not to tell a lot of people that. I've been to the future where we become the latest and greatest thing to come to comic books and comic book media. But I can't tell you how we get there. We're just going to have to get there. So get on the bandwagon while there's still seats left. And next time we'll see you, we'll be a little bit... Because uh, th- th- this episode was fast. I promise that the next episode... We won't be Russian. <laughs> Get it? Get it? No. We won't be Russian. Man. Dad jokes, y'all. It's been a long week. My name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. I am Dan the Comic Man. And this has been our League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, LXG. Recap and review. And remember, whether or not you're a crack shot, whether you're a crack pot, 
whether you take a bunch of serums to become Mr. Hyde, whether you're secretly a vampire inside, whether you're an invisible man who shouldn't be touching girls, or you're the group of the most extraordinary gentlemen in the world, remember that you're part of the thing. And you, yes, you are.